Good morning, and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host, Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. Today, we have a very fun guest on. Um, we've been actually wanting to get him on for a few weeks now. Um, for this past year's Orthodox Jewish All-Stars, 2014 Jewish uh, Orthodox Jewish All-Stars, he is probably anecdotally um, the person that I heard from people saying he was my favorite. Um, and how can you not love Disney? Everybody loves Disney. And this is a guy that embodies just the joy and you know happiness um, wrapped up into Disney into a person. His name is Saul Blinkoff, um, and he is with us today on June the City Speaks. Saul, uh, good morning, and thanks for joining us. Hi, good morning. Uh, yeah, it's my pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Of course. So before you um, got to Disney, you, you or you've had other experiences besides Disney. You've done some um, product. Uh, producing and some directing, but um, to start off first, I want to talk a little about your Jewish background, because we did get an interview of you um, in our Orthodox Jewish All-Stars video, which everybody can check out on JewInTheCity.com, but I realized once we, um, you know, edited it that we didn't hear too much about what your Jewish background was like growing up, so if you could fill us in today about that. Yeah, sure. Um, You know, I'm I'm, I'm actually a a lucky guy, because I have two parents that were absolutely embracing Yiddishkeit, um, loved uh, Israel, they love Israel, and we had Shabbat in our home. But uh, what really happened for me was, even though I was raised a certain way and my parents decided what synagogue I went to and what Hebrew school I went to, we weren't religious by any means. But when I became about 23, 24, I finally asked the question to myself is, how do I fit into the Jewish people for me? You know, I'm going to choose my own career, my own relationship with being a Jew, and I really know that everything that I do is because of my parents. I need to figure out what it is for me, and that's what really set me on my journey to explore what really Torah is and what does it mean to be a Jew. And so um, you mentioned in the All-Stars video that we uh, we filmed of you back in the fall that it was actually, um, you know, some people come to that question, you know, kind of, you know, what's my Jewish purpose or the bigger question, I personally came to it um, because I was struggling and I was searching for the meaning of life. Um, Joyce Azria, also one of your fellow all-stars this year, said she was going through some tough times. You came to this question of kind of, you know, how do I fit in as a Jew um, from actually something positive that happened. Can you share with us what that, what that was about? Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, at, at that point in my life also, I had my dream job. I had just been at Disney Studios uh, for a couple of years. I was an animator on Pocahontas and then the movie The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Uh, from that, I took a trip with my parents to Israel. And um, I remember walking through the old city and I met this guy uh, in a bagel place. And he told me about this yeshiva program. And I thought, well, the yeshiva guy, you must have the payas and the tzitzis, the fringe popping out, and you don't look like that. You look like a normal guy. And he's the one that actually said to me, look, I'm here because I want to find out how I fit into the Jewish people. I remember looking at him and saying, what, what are you, a puzzle piece? <laughs> you know, I don't get that. And that really started me on my journey. And as a matter of fact, when I went back to Disney, after the Hunchback of Notre Dame, we started working on the film Mulan. I was an animator on that movie worked on Mulan for three years. At the end of Mulan, we find out at the studio we're going to be working on Tarzan next. There's just one problem. They're not ready for us to go on to Tarzan because they're still figuring out the script. So we have what we like to call downtime. Downtime is you get paid to do nothing. It's awesome. I always tell people, anyone offers you a job with downtime, 
take the job. Because you know what downtime is at Disney World? You're riding the roller coasters. It's Space Mountain, Thunder Mountain, Splash Mountain. So me and my friend are crashing different Disney parks and different Disney hotels. And I'm floating on my back at the most beautiful hotel. It's the Disney Beach Club Hotel. I'm in this current swimming pool in the back of the hotel. And I'm telling you, Allison, I had every single thing I wanted in my life. I had every checkbox that you have for your dream. I had everything checked off. I had my dream job. I was making a good living. I had great friends. I had the best girlfriend, who I later married. I had a sports car. Everything I had. And then as I was floating on my back that one day, I remembered the guy that I met at the Bagel Place in Israel years earlier. And I told all my friends, you know what? I'm going to Israel because it just wasn't enough. It just wasn't enough. I wanted more meaning. I wanted to find out how do I connect to the Jewish people? How do I fit in? And uh, I got on a plane and I went to Israel. I how long was it from that? Because we didn't get this from the video. How long from the floating on your back to get, um, showing up in yeshiva? How, how long a period was that? Probably two weeks. Oh, wow. I so mean, you, literally, you felt I, it and you did day, it, huh? I, I was, Oh, yeah, exactly. And it's funny because I actually reflect quite often on that moment. What made me go? What made me push me to go? Because it's one thing to go, you know, wouldn't it be nice if I knew more about Judaism or how I fit in, but to actually get on a plane and go? And I'll tell you, I was a little hesitant. I was a little nervous about it. I mean, none of my friends were Jewish at Disney. None of them were doing anything like this. I, I felt a little alone, but I thought, you know what? I got the free time. Let me go see what happens. I have nothing to lose. And it was only a 10-day program. And during that 10 days, I met Rabbi David Aaron and Rabbi Benny Friedman of Israelite. Now they're running Yeshiva Oraita, which is unbelievable and wonderful. And uh, I remember them speaking to me for, you know, 15 minutes. And that 15 minutes changed the course of the rest of my life. Because for the first time, it showed me, you know, mitzvot are just not things that we do. Mitzvot are things that we do that give us meaning. And they explained the mitzvah, mezuzah, and some other things. And I was like, wow, I, I had no idea that there was this kind of meaning in the mitzvot. And that just set me on a course to realize, you know what, I got a lot to learn. I had a fire in my belly now, and uh, the journey was beginning. <laughs> so you went, So you had just kind of done what most, you know, uh, not-so-religious American kids do, Hebrew school bar mitzvah, but not much Jewish education beyond that? Exactly, yeah. I mean, there wasn't a lot of talk. You know, I went to Jewish camps. I went to Camp Ramah growing up, but... There wasn't a lot of talk in, in the Hebrew school I went to and in the camp. That, there wasn't a lot of talk about God, believe it or not. That really it's wasn't true. mentioned so much. So, then, do you think you had, I know that I personally had a lot of negative associations and stereotypical ideas about Orthodox Jews. Did you have a similar thing? I found a lot of secular Jews have kind of different hang-ups or wrong ideas. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I remember even coming back from Israel. While I was inspired, I wasn't ready to be religious or Orthodox until a couple, it was about a year later, I got a job offer to go to MTV in New York City. And uh, I was like, okay, this is going to be an interesting journey. If I'm going to live in New York City, I should at least find where the Jewish community is. So I found out about the Upper West Side. I'm walking the streets of the Upper West Side. And it's freezing cold, the opposite of Orlando. And um, I remember walking into one building, the Key West, on 96th and Columbus. Many of your listeners, I'm sure, know that building. It's a famous building there. And I walked in trying to find an apartment, and everything was booked up. Just as I'm there in the lobby, a guy walks in and puts a card up on the board saying he's looking for a roommate. I said to the guy, wait a minute, you got to take that sign down. He's like, why? I said, because I'm going to be your roommate, because <laughs> I needed a place to live. He says, well, okay, hold on, i got to ask you a question. I said, what? He says, are you Shomer Shabbos? 
I said, what's that? He says, if you're asking what Shomer Shabbos is, you're not Shomer Shabbos. And I said, well, what is it? And he goes, well, you know, you follow Torah and Halacha, and, you know, you don't turn on lights, and you don't tear toilet paper. And I was like, whoa, 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 fanatic man. I am not an Orthodox religious guy. Look, I just got back from Israel a year ago, and I'm learning a little bit, but that's just not where I'm at. I walked outside into the bitter cold. I counted to 10. I realized how cold it was. I needed a place to live. I ran right back into the lobby, and I grabbed the guy, and I said, hey, I'm Shomer Shabbos. Exactly what happened. And my friends looked at me like, are you crazy? Why would you have done that? You know what I tell people? Sometimes in life, when you try something, and you're not sure if it's you, you may be surprised. I said, you know what? I'll try it out. And if worse comes to worse, and I find out it's not for me, then I get clarity. I get clarity that this is, but you know what happened? I fell in love with Shabbos. How could you not? You got all these great singles, bringing food to each other's homes, giving lachayim, singing the gunim. I fell in love with Shabbos. That was really the beginning. Hmm. And so also, I'm, I'm imagining you had to keep a kosher kitchen with this uh, roommate as well. Oh, yeah. So I learned all those things. You know, one thing I, I say, um, my wife and I really hold by, and that is, you know, I, I really comes from Rabbi David Aaron. He said, we're not human beings, we're human becomings. So many times in life we're so interested in the finish line. You know, what's the end, zone? What's the end you know, result of what I'm doing? But I tell people and I remind myself and my wife, like, we need to just go step by step, slowly. I didn't, like, come off the boat from Israel and then, become, you know, put them to fill in three times a day right away. Everything happened slowly. It took me years before I started doing that. I remember in the beginning, like, you know, I wear a keep on Shabbos. And then when Sunday came, I would take it off because, you know, you wear your keep on Shabbos. You don't wear it during the day. You're not going to walk to Ikea or Home Depot wearing a kippah. And then after a year, I realized, wait a minute, why am I taking this off? This, this is my identity as a Jew. I, feel, I started feeling not good taking it off. And I said, I'm going to wear it. I'm going to walk down the street and wear it. And it changed everything for me. And I remember one time I was in an airport. And uh, I was flying early in the morning somewhere. And, you know, I had a baseball hat on and normal clothes, you know, you know jeans and a sweater or something. And I knew I had to dive in the morning services, Shafri's at the airport before I got onto the plane. And there wasn't anyone around me else that was doing that. And so I stood up. I opened up my towels. I opened it up. I looked like Batman standing there in the uh, terminal, you know. I wrapped the towels around my head. I put that on. And if that's not bad enough and everyone around me thinks I'm crazy, I start taking out my tefillin, wrapping that around my arms. And people are like, what is going on? You know, they, they, I don't know what they thought. They definitely were staring at Someone took a picture on their cell phone, you know. And then I dove in chakras right there. Look at the Jew. And then you know what happened? After the plane landed, a little old lady comes up to me and she says, thank you so much for praying to God. It's because of you we got here safely. And I realized, Kiddush Hashem right there. You know, people see, like, people get nervous. I don't want to wear a kippah public. I, it's like, you know, if we hold on to our identity, we respect ourselves. God willing, people will respect us, too. Beautiful. So, okay, so MTV New York, this is kind of where the observance starts happening. Did you find any um, situations in a professional setting where you started to see some challenges between keeping Shabbos, Yom Tov, kosher, that sort of a thing? No, I really didn't. I mean, look, at that point in my career, I was already in a leadership role. I was already a director. But, um, I mean, the only challenges I ever had 
was, you know, when we had overtime or a lot of heavy work to do, I just I would come in a little earlier during the week. So if I work nine to six, I'm going to take off for a chag, a holiday, something. So I would get to work, you know, two minutes early, and I'd leave 30 minutes later than everyone else. Just so at least I'm there, I'm putting in more time, and people know that, you know what, Saul's always there, he's dependable, he's responsible, and I wasn't taking advantage of a situation, you know? Totally. Um, and you told a funny story um, when I interviewed you. You had a funny kosher story about octopus, live octopus. In, oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, that, that, yeah. that story is my kid's favorite story. And that was like, you know, that was one of those times when, you know, I think any American would be very proud to say I eat kosher because here I am in South Korea. I'm sitting with the producers on this project I'm directing. And um, they order this metal bowl comes out on the table. It's filled with water. I have no idea what's going on. Tentacles shoot out of the bowl onto the counter. The plate starts moving. The bowl starts moving by itself. I'm like, how is a bowl moving by itself? Inside are like three or four octopus or octopi. I'm not sure of the plural there. They're swimming around in the bowl. And the guy, the producer, takes one out, wraps it around his chopstick. And I'm telling you, the head of this thing was bigger than a golf ball. The tentacles were about 10 inches long. And he wraps it around his chopsticks, which I don't know why he wrapped it, because the thing was squirming all over the chopsticks. He dips it in this sauce, puts it into his mouth, and he can tell that the American, me, is like, my mouth is open, I'm dumbfounded. All of a sudden, before he starts chewing, the tentacles shoot out of his mouth. They're going up on his face, into his nose, into his ears. I mean, I'm like, and I took out my iPhone, I'm taking pictures. I'm like, no way, you are not going to eat that. All of a sudden, the guy bites down. And you hear this squirt sound, and this little yellow thing pops out of his mouth. This is true. It goes onto the table, and it's pulsating. And he goes, brain, best pod. And he picks up the brain and pops it back in his mouth. Unbelievable. He looks at me and says, do you want some? And I go, no, no, I can't. Kosher, baby. <laughs> wow, that's like... Really? I've never heard. Even This was even beyond what you told in the video. That was even, uh, whoa, oh my God, I'm surprised that you kept oh, your bagel yeah. down, Saul. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> but I've had times, a lot of times, where I have meetings to go to, and I bring a bagel, or I'll sit and have a drink, but I don't eat there. And People totally respect it. I mean, I can tell you, probably about a year ago, I was directing a project, and the actor I was directing is Mark Hamill. Mark Hamill is Luke Skywalker. I mean, my first movie I ever saw as a kid was Star Wars. I'm seven years old. Mark Hamill is my idol. And now a year ago, here I am directing him. Unbelievable day. So we go in there, and I'm directing the voice. He does voiceover. He does a lot of animation. Most people don't know. Directing him for this character. We take a break to have lunch. He's opening up his sandwich, and he sees there's a wrapper, and it says some Hebrew letters. So he looks up, and he says, what is this? I say, well, it's kosher. He's like, oh, why? What's kosher? We had a 30-minute talk. I became the rabbi all of a sudden, you know? Mm. <laughs> uh, we had a 30-minute talk about what kosher is, and, and uh, he thought it was fascinating. I mm. mean, that's one of those times where, like, I mean, they were ordering food for eight people on the set, and instead of me just ordering kosher for myself, they said, you know, we'll order kosher from a restaurant. Everybody will have it. And it opened up a dialogue, and it was wonderful. Amazing. So do you, so it seems like, you know, this example and I'm sure other things, you have an opportunity with your platform of working in Hollywood and Disney to 
teach people to, do you think there's ever been any stereotypes that people didn't realize that you were Jewish or observant that you overheard and then you got to explain or are people pretty respectful? Yeah, I mean, like, you know, um, uh, about two years ago, I was directing a Disney show called Doc Mistuffins, which is a really uh, popular preschool show. Many adults have never heard of it, but every human between the ages of three and seven on planet Earth knows the show because it's really popular. It's a wonderful show. And uh, I was directing it in Dublin, Ireland. So I moved my family to Dublin, Ireland for the year because that's where the studio was that was actually making the episodes. And uh, while I was there, I'm in this very small studio, and um, I got to figure out where I'm going to dive in Mincha every day. So there I am working, and I'm not going to be able to go home. It's the middle of the day to dive in the afternoon service. So I found this um, closet. Basically, it was a closet. It was a custodial closet that wasn't being used. Uh, thank God it didn't have any strong fumes or smells. And uh, I would go into this closet every day, and I would pray. Mm-hmm. And um, after about two months, one lady who was had a desk going outside the closet, she finally asked me, I'm surprised it took two months. She's like, um, <laughs> why do you go into the closet every day? <laughs> and I said, well, there's, uh, there's, uh, this is an afternoon uh, ritual that Jews do where we pray to God. Uh, it's a 15-minute thing. And she thought that was fascinating. And we ended up talking about that and about a thousand other things about Judaism for hours also. You know, most of the time, the blocks of why we're nervous to, you know, identify as a Jew or publicly, you know, do the mitzvot is because we think people are going to think we don't fit in. And one of the most wonderful things about being a Jew is knowing that we can fit in being ourselves. I mean, look at the world. Look at the impact of over the world. We stick to our guns. We stick to our values. And we change the world. It's so true. You know, it's interesting. I was speaking to a woman on a, a speaking engagement a few months back, and one of her complaints with the religious Jewish community is that she said, you don't contribute anything. Look at all the things that, you know, secular Jews have contributed. Um, and once you become a religious Jew, you lose that ability to contribute. And I said, wait one second. Check out these Orthodox Jewish all-stars. This is just, you know, a sample of different things that people can do while they stay true. So you're such an amazing example of being able to, uh, to balance both worlds. Um, now, I know your, tal- you. uh, your family is also very talented and involved in some different entertainment type of stuff. Could you tell our listeners a little bit about what uh, some of your talented family members do? Yeah, sure. You know, it's funny. Um, I remember with my uh, oldest daughter, Mihira, who's now 10, she was about six months old. My wife comes in and she says, honey, there's, a, there's an audition for a Huggies commercial. They need a baby that has that, like, Gerber baby look. And our daughter really had that, like, round head and that little on, you know, fuzz on her forehead and big blue eyes. So my wife wanted to take her. I'm telling you, they must have had, you know, 500 babies in that hotel lobby. They had the audition here in Hollywood. And um, I told my wife, you know, go have a good time. Well, she didn't book that, but my wife fell in love with the idea of taking our daughter on different auditions. Well, that sprung into my daughter who loves acting, and she was about four and a half years old, and she booked her first Kmart commercial. And she just loved it. She loved dressing up in a little dress and being on the set. And she was really well-behaved and had a real professionalism. Even for a four-year-old, it was amazing. And, um, you know, we never pushed it on her. We just kind of gave her the opportunity and exposure to it. And she just took to it. She did a couple of commercials through the years. And then um, she booked a, a role on a Disney show called Phineas and Ferb, which is a very popular animated funny show. That's more geared towards, I would say, you know, 7 to 12 years old, a little older than the preschool. 
And uh, she booked a role on that, and she loved it, and she was wonderful in that. But we don't send her out for everything. We're very careful. I remember there was one audition she had where they wanted, uh, you know, a, a six-year-old girl who, it's a drama, like an like a, you know, a law drama show on TV. I don't remember the name of it, where she goes over and she finds her father who was shot, and she's crying. And I'm like, no, she's, she's not going to be auditioning for that. But she really got the bug. And then my younger son, uh, also, by the way, my daughter did a movie called Hotel Transylvania. She was one of the werewolf puppies. And that's something that we actually we like that she does voiceover. We're a little more hesitant letting her go on the sets of films and television shows, specifically because, you know, you have to take her out of school and all that, and you have to be careful. Uh, as a matter of fact, we had one uh, audition that she had, which was for a, uh, a TV show for Fox, which ended up never getting made. It was a show called Outnumbered that they were in pre-production here. And they, she auditioned out of hundreds and hundreds of kids. This would have been a starring role as one of the kids on this live-action show. Hmm. And um, she had an audition from hundreds of kids, and she got a callback. And she had wow. another callback. And finally, it was down to her, yeah, and another girl. And it was a really nice role, and it was really she, she would basically be playing herself, a creative, sensitive um, eight-year-old. She was eight at the time. And we finally told the manager and her agent, we said, just to remind you, you know, she can't work on Fridays, Friday night and Saturday, just so you remember. She says, oh, yeah, you know, let me tell the Fox executives. So there she went with the Fox executives and told them, and the executives said, you know what, I'm sorry, but we only shoot the show on Friday night, <laughs> so we're going to mm. have to pass. Mm. So we were, like, a little bummed, but it wasn't really a hard choice for us because, obviously, you know, we've already decided that we were keeping Shabbat as who we are. It wasn't right. even a, ooh, what should we do? Kind of, but what happened the next day was unbelievable. We get a call back from her agent that Fox wants to shift their schedule of shooting because they really want her in the show. And even wow. our agent said that has never happened. Yeah. Wow. So then we said to the agent, well, there's just one thing we should remind you also. She's like, well, what's that? We said, well, she also doesn't work during the Chagim, you know, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, Passover. And she's like, well, give me those dates. So we started piling up those dates for her. Well, it was like four times as many dates as the Shabbat ones. <laughs> So then when we gave her that, she said, mm, they're probably going to pass, and they ended up passing, but the show never got made. But that was one of those times where we stuck to our guns, and even our daughter, who was excited about doing the show, she said, you know what, it's fine. She was totally cool with it. But after that, we started limiting her from doing, you know, on-set commercials and films, and now we just stick to voiceover. And our son, Asher, who's now six and a half, he had an audition for a major role. This is uh, about ten months ago for a movie, Hotel Transylvania 2. It's the sequel to Hotel Transylvania. And after hundreds of kids, our son booked the job. It was unbelievable. And people think, you know, oh, well, your dad, he's in animation. He must have helped you get in. I'm telling you, when I take him on these auditions, I'm just the stage dad sitting in the waiting room waiting. I have nothing to do with it. But what's really cool and what we're really proud of him for is right before he went in to, to the uh, audition, he said, Dad, should I take my keep off? And I said, no, why would you take the keep off? You're a Jew. Go in. Don't do it as a Jew. He kept his keep on. He's got one of those black felt keep that say his name in Hebrew, Asher Chaim. Yeah. And he went in there. He sits this her out, and he booked it. And he's, yeah. and he's uh, the movie's actually coming out this September, and you can check out the trailer for it, the teaser for Hotel Transylvania 2. He's the voice of Dennis, the little boy with the red hair. But what's mm. really cool is they're doing what's called the EPK, the Electronic Press Kit. And in that, you're going to have all the making of, and there's like the video scenes of Adam Sandler doing the voices, and Mel Brooks is in the movie, Steve Buscemi. And there you're going to see six-and-a-half-year-old 
little religious boy, Asher Khan, with his felt teapot. And uh, we're also looking forward to the premiere of the film. And he walks the red carpet, you know, as a Jew. <laughs> Have any of his Jewish co-stars commented on him being this uh, proud Jew? Or Yeah, well, we went to, uh, Adam Sandler had a big holiday party. And uh, at the holiday party, that's when we started schmoozing with different people who were in the movie. And uh, they, they all loved it and kept wishing us a happy Hanukkah instead of, you know, the Christmas because it was more of a, you know, Hanukkah. It's more of a, most people there were, you know, keeping Christmas, I'm sure. So, but uh, it was just nice that they just wished him happy Hanukkah wherever he went. And uh, it's all good. <laughs> wow, it's beautiful. I'm saying he's such a little guy and making such a big impact. That's, uh, that's amazing. One thing that we didn't get to touch on um, when we interviewed you that we wanted to hear more about is not only are you inspiring people, you know, in the, uh, you know, animation world and the entertainment world, you've also taken some of that inspiration that, you know, you got from your learning and you're, you're teaching, you're inspiring young professionals uh, in uh, a weekly Torah class. Yes, that's right. I'm, I'm very involved in my uh, community, and uh, I teach at H Los Angeles. I teach uh, a weekly class Tuesday nights for young professionals and people in the community on the Mesila Shisharim, the Path of the Just, which is an incredible safer, incredible book of wisdom written in the 1700s by Rabbi Moshe Chaim Lutzato. And uh, it's one of the things I remind myself and I tell students, it's really an incredible thing. How could a book that's written in the 1700s be applicable today? How could, I mean, look, look for the Torah for that matter. You know, thousands of years ago, the Torah was written. How could that be applicable to today? But Torah wisdom is for all time. You know, the word Torah means instructions. It's an instruction manual for living. How could an instruction manual, you know, have an end date if it's written by the creator of the world? You know, so I teach this class, and one of the themes that I have in teaching this is, how do we make it real? How do we make Torah real? Okay, I say the Shema twice a day. I put my hand over my eyes and I close my eyes. But am I real with it? When I say Hashem Echad, God is one? How do we make it real? That's one of the things that's very empowering to look at Torah and to look at wisdom and to look at these incredible minhagim and laws that we live our life through and think, how do I make that real to my life? How do I apply that to my marriage or to being a father or to my career for that matter? And I've had times where I'm reading scripts and I'll see something in the script that is a little off. And I'm like, you know what, I, I don't want to show my kids that scene. I was directing a Winnie the Pooh movie, and there was a scene where one of the characters was being a little selfish, and he was the main character. And I was like, mm, it's a little wrong. I'd rather him be more sensitive to this other character who's feeling down. And we mm. changed the story. I try mm. to put, you know, those Torah values into whatever I do. As a matter of fact, not only did I change the script on that movie, but I actually hid something in the movie. The movie is Winnie the Pooh's Springtime with Rue. And the very first two minutes of the movie, little Rue jumps out of this book and is talking to the narrator. And the narrator's talking about Winnie the Pooh. And Rue's saying, well, Winnie the Pooh be in the movie? And the narrator says, well, yes, Rue, he'll be there. And Rue says, and what about Tigger? And he's pointing to a book, and there's a drawing of Tigger. And on the page of the book, I hid the letters, hey, shin, mem. It says Hashem, right hmm. there on the book. And I remember being in the movie theater watching it, and Hashem's name was across the whole screen because it was huge. But no one could tell unless you were a Jew and really looked. I also uh, hid in that movie a mezuzah on Winnie the Pooh's doorway that no one saw. <laughs> so I guess awesome. he's not Winnie the Pooh. Now he's Winnie the Jew. <laughs> 
Love it. Love it. We have to go check that movie out and, you know, the Disney uh, animators hide stuff, but different types of stuff. And you're, you're hiding all this Jewy stuff. That's completely awesome. Um, we are just about out of time here. We have uh, just one more minute to go. Um, in closing, could you, because we, ha we um, are about to start selecting our, our next year of All-Stars. We have just a few more days left to go. Um, Sunday is uh, the end of the 2015 Orthodox Jewish All-Star nominations. Can you share with uh, our listeners what being an Orthodox Jewish All-Star means to you? Yeah, you know, when I was uh, nominated to be an All-Star for my wife, Marion, uh, I didn't even know about it until um, you had chosen me. And I was honored, but I didn't really know much about it. And I have to tell you, in this year since that happened, it's incredible how many speaking opportunities that I've been given because of that and, and the, the publicity of it and how it's been seen by people all around the world, which is a credit to you, Allison, that you really created something that really is changing the world. And because of it, it's really gotten me great invitations to wonderful places to speak to college students and communities. Uh, next week, my wife and I will be going. I'll be speaking in South Africa for a week. So it's been very exciting. And wow. I really appreciate the opportunity to be able to share my story and my love of uh, being a Jew with as many people as I can. But so, Saul, we, could, we can only do this if we have people like you to feature. So thank you for being you and for having your values and for using your talents and for everybody listening. Um, there are Saul is amazing and unique and his family is incredible, um, but there's more people out there that we need to discover and we need to publicize. So please head over to JewInTheCity.com and nominate an All-Star for 2015. Thank you so much for taking time out of your super busy schedule, and uh, we look forward to seeing you at next year's All-Star uh, party, Saul. Wonderful. Thanks so much, Allison. Okay, and uh, have a great thank day. you to your listeners. All the best. Bye-bye. And you can join us here next week, same time, same place. Thanks for listening.